Welcome to the RepChat Inside Stories series, conversations with creative talent and creative entrepreneurial businesses. We discover the inside stories that inspire and motivate creative people to do what they do. Hello, I'm really delighted to be in the studio here this morning with Dr. Andrew Parsons. I'll tell you a little bit about Andy. Andy is a well-being catalyst and he is also a qualified coach and therapist. He's, I don't know how many years, but you can fill us in on this, Andy. Many years in the life sciences industry. He has a PhD in physiological sciences he has a master's in psychology and he has a record, a track record in medicines, development, governance and healthcare. And I understand that he's brought a lot of creativity and innovation into all the teams that he's worked in. And Andy, I know as a friend and as a colleague. So welcome, Andy. Hi, Cathy. Really lovely to be here. Absolutely. So today I'd really like to talk about you and your work and also a recent discovery that you made about yourself. How would you best describe what you do? Oh, that's a great question. I'm still struggling with that one after 20, 30 years in professional work. My core role today really is helping people think and feel differently. And, you know, and I've come through that through coaching, through therapeutic work, through work in sciences. But I think it's that ability to help people challenge their views and perspectives of the world and perhaps create more useful ones. Well-being for me is all about functioning optimally, whatever the circumstances, taking part and living well. And I think all the work I do in my practice, whether it be working with people in organisations or working people one-to-one in a whole variety of settings, covers those three areas. So it's you know how to be the best I can be with what's going on for me. And I work with people in the boardroom to people in hospital. Well, that sounds really amazing. And many, many people need your work today. How did you get into being a wellbeing catalyst? What was your journey? Tortuous and uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So I came into coaching really and therapy through my scientific work. So I graduate trained pharmacologist, master's PhD in physiological sciences. My background was in sort of neuroscience. I used to run migraine stroke research for Glaxo many, many years ago. And through my role, I sort of moved into various different sort of leadership roles and business roles. And I ended up in a, a leadership role, which was working across organizational boundaries and cultural boundaries and found that very, very interesting because I sort of grew up in a very command and control organizational structure. And, you know, science can be very hierarchical at times in terms of what you know and, and how do you use that. But working across different organizations, with different values, maybe similar values, but different cultures, it really sort of got to me. Well, actually, sort of a hard moment you have as a leader was it's really not about what I know anymore. It's about how do I create the environment for people to sort of realize what they know in a useful way that's useful for all of us, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I sort of really used that to change my leadership style. And I really embraced the whole philosophy of coaching in terms of how I operate in that mode. And I'm very curious about science and would love to explore. I've just got more and more interested about how do people show up in systems and how do we be our best in systems? And you know, then sort of took a whole sort of different series of 
trainings, practiced in hypnotherapy, had some great teachers in EFT, <laughs> cognitive hypnotherapy, took on coaching skills. But really, it was just that sort of aha moment. We have such a role as leaders that can support people to do exactly that whole well-being thing about functioning optimally, taking part, feeling they belong and taking part and being able to live well, managing the stress around them. I think over the last 10 years in particular, that's sort of becoming much, much, much more important to me in my role. So it's less around the technology. It's much, much more about the people now. That journey's probably taken about 30 years or so, I would imagine, from when I started. There's something about curiosity and creativity and finding solutions or workarounds from what you've described in your role. And also in seeing leadership different, seeing it very much aligned to this central idea of wellness and well-being and making it a place where people can show up and be healthy. I know from our previous discussion that you've discovered something about yourself fairly recently and I'd be really interested to know how that's impacted you and what you've discovered through that. The tender age of 50-something, I've discovered I'm dyslexic. Who knew? And Andy, how did you find out? It was through the process, two things, through the process of writing a book that we've just published this year, Empowerment in Health and Wellness. And where can we find that book? All good booksellers, hopefully. It's on Amazon. It's published by Panoma Press in St Albans. But the book was a collaboration between 12 practitioners. And there were three of us. The best phrase is probably the creating editors. So we contributed to the book, but we created the themes and that. And it was just something that Jackie Arnold said to me when we were writing. She said, I'm sure you're dyslexic. I think she's on the spectrum. I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying that. Uh, but some of her family members are also dyslexic. Mm. Like. And at the same time, there was a conversation we had in one of the coaching psychologists peer practice groups were my co-host Susan Bartrop running through her lived experience of dyslexia and these two things happened within about a week or so of each other you know what that sounds like me that was the stimulus to go and do the screening test and then get the full diagnosis so it was really interesting it was just one of those happenstance things that happened until that place I just thought I couldn't spell wow so what a revelation and I'm just curious to know from that moment which how that landed with you, shock, surprise, relief, I don't know. What were your immediate emotions in the moment when you... Oh, it was kind of like neutral. It just was it. That's it. It is and is. That's where we are. But what it did do was help me reflect on a whole series of things in my life, which would just give you that little bit of, ah, that's why. And, and there was a couple of really big ones. And actually, I remember telling one of my friends, she just found out I'm dyslexic. And she said, well, how can you be dyslexic? You know, you've written over 100 papers. But I've written every one of them. Well, most of them, 95% of them with other people. So I work in teams to write things. So your collaborative skills are very, very high. Your ability to find workarounds. We discussed this, yeah. didn't we, just before we did the recording, finding workarounds. And also the element of curiosity and creativity you know, it must be immense within you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How you've given your academic background, your leadership roles, and the number of books you've published, you've been prolific in what you've created with this diagnosis. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've brought online to Alive to produce this amount of work? Well, that's the funny thing, because I don't know. The conversation I had with the woman who was involved, the process that goes through the diagnosis was really interesting because she kept asking me questions about, well, were you slow as a child? You know, did you develop slowly? Did you have lots of difficulties? And looking back, 
hated school absolutely mm. low school never felt belonging to any of it but had uh, a real desire to learn and explore I was fascinated by science and you know the scientific programs that were on telly at the time just wanted to engage and be part of that I think there's a huge self-motivation which just helps you drive and find ways around things to reach that goal and an awful lot of support the mother used to spend hours helping me to read oh wow so you had the support and the curiosity to to figure things out and explore the world. Now, in the work you do, Andy, as a well-being catalyst, coming back to your realisations, will this impact the way that you deal with your coaching? I know you do a lot of psychological work with people. Do you think this will make a difference now? I think it's one of those yes and no's because Mm. I know this. It helps understand some of my path. We're all so similar to each other, but we're all so unique. And I think it's just so important to remember that we have to be with our clients there in the moment, you know, rather than what we think they are or what we think they have and so forth and so on. So I don't think it really affects my practice because my practice has been developed over 30 odd years. But perhaps it helps me understand some of the, the demands that I place on myself in terms of adapting to stuff. It takes me a lot of energy. That's a huge insight. I now need to sort of give myself a break a little bit because actually it's harder for me to do a whole load of things than other people. And just knowing that it was really helpful. Well, given that you've accomplished so much, I know that you've worked and you're almost tireless in your learning. What's the next thing to conquer? And what I'm hearing is that there's this element of self-compassion, the right word, and also maybe interest in how will this new insight impact you going forward, which is, you say, give yourself a break. And you said something earlier about labels, giving someone a label or a diagnosis. And this is, I think, really pertinent in these times. So if we could explore that a little bit. I think labels can be so dangerous. It creates this thing about predicting behaviours and just takes that whole humanity out of the situation because we all deal with things in our own way. And there was a wonderful quote, if you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And I think that's just such a powerful principle to hold in all our interactions with people. The labels society may put on people or that we may put on them ourselves. It's so important to challenge ourselves just to be alongside people at that moment. And I think working with people with cancer for the last few years, which is what we've done in supporting cancer service being developed within the NHS, my role is just to be alongside them. Whatever's going on for them, whatever's going on for them in their life, their treatment, their professional, personal life, being alongside somebody in that space just helps them maybe to sort of think differently about the situation and challenge and move in a way that creates that space of learning. It's humanising the human in front of you, although you have knowledge of what's going on and insight and also scientific insight, it's treating the person, first of all, as a human being instead of a, a diagnosis, which is, wow, that's so, so interesting. So Andy, what inspires you to carry on in the work that you do? Oh, my clients, my friends, my colleagues, my family. And I think there's probably something there which is part of that drive within me, which is around diversity and equity and equality. And that's probably going back to my childhood, actually, thinking about it, because I never really felt like I belonged in many of the school situations that I was involved with. And I know now that's probably because I was just progressing in a different way. Absolutely. I can understand it's always had such an immense impact in who you are today and shaping that. I mean, you talked about leadership and do you still work within leadership groups Andy 
Oh, yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just so important to be able to sort of meet people where they are. And to do that, I think, you know, a big part of meeting people where they are is to have an understanding, or at least my own understanding of perhaps where they've come from. So there's so much difference in the world from, uh, you know, particularly if you're working with people from all sorts of different cultures and all sorts of different organisational backgrounds, the resources that people have available to themselves may be hugely different. Be alongside people. You need to have an awareness of what might be different for people in different circumstances. That helps challenge your own biases and your own assumptions. Mm. And, and it's just creating that learning around, well, what's going on for you? How can you use that? These are just a couple of really useful, powerful questions that we can bring as, as practitioners to the, any situation. I hear that you're bringing a, a unique presence into the conversation again we go back into those labels and sometimes it's like oh it's one of those kind of people you're saying no you're a human being you have a job to do and what's going on for you now a number of years ago I remember sitting down in London having a conversation and you said wellness is going to be the number one priority for businesses do you remember that conversation oh I do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are What's the key? I think that was the conversation. So if we look here in almost in November 2021, what's your take on that now, given that you are a wellness catalyst? First thing is I do do what I say I'm going to do, which is hugely mm. rewarding. It's so important. There are so many different definitions of wellness and well-being and so many different definitions of health. But actually, if you just think from a business perspective, what we're really trying to do is, you know, in any business setting, is get a group of people or more than two people come together work together productively, effectively, efficiently, healthily, safely to create some stuff that has some value to others. And, you know, why wouldn't well-being be the most important thing that we need to focus on if it's all about functioning optimally and accessing all the resources that you can bring together in your organisation to ensure productivity? The science behind this is just absolutely, I think, irrefutable. Those organisations that focus on the well-being and the engagement of the staff, it affects them both on the top line and, and on the bottom line. So there's, there's less cost and there's more productivity. If you look after the staff, the staff will look after you. It's just in, from a business perspective, just well-being is just so important. And the pandemic, I think, has shown all of us that actually our, our own physical and mental well-being is just so important and so interconnected with all those around us. The lack of connection with people through the pandemic has been a real challenge for many. Especially that it's taken some time Getting back to meeting people, there's been some retinence for some people. I'm not ready to do that. It hasn't been like snap back into action for everybody. Now, Andy, your work largely with people is talking therapeutically, coaching, and that involves narratives. Yeah. And as you know, what we do is we make stories. And I was very interested in your take on the narrative that we hold about ourselves or we hold about the organisations or our role and wellness. So do you also explore that in your work? That's probably the central thing that in my practice, which is where I explore it, it's all that, how do I make sense of my world around me? What narrative is going to be? How is that impacting my ability to function well in this situation? And how to change it? How do people change their inner narratives? If the inner narrative is uh, you know, whatever it is, and this is about changing that, what are the things that you talk about or you set around to actually start to alter that narrative for it to become more helpful and, I guess, healthy for the person? 
often there's usually a, a source of disequilibrium around these things, which creates that urgency or that need to change. So if you think about learning as a continuum, you know, we may learn stuff that is a number or something that's going to add to my knowledge base already. We're learning all the time. But when we're challenged with a challenge to our world that creates that sort of discombobulation, then it's the time to sort of maybe think a little bit differently about what do I know? You know, I can add to what I know. I can maybe look at the assumptions around, you know, what I know, what's led me to think this way. There might be a whole host of things in my world that's led me to think this way you know for me one of the narratives I hold for many many years I just can't spell when I was doing my postdoc in Germany the first paper I wrote to put into submitting for peer review the reviewer came back and said could you get an English person to read your manuscript before you send it off please <laughs> and my lab professor Professor Vole came to me and said hey, Dr Parsons are you not English and I said no I'm Scottish and he said well that explains it <laughs> but there was a whole narrative about me and I said I just can't spell so I'm going to get around this that was my drive for doing it I'll find ways which led me to work collaboratively with people to help me write things down that was a huge challenge to my narrative it happened for me just very very recently looking at the way we make meaning from the world can lead to that transformational step change which is let's maybe sort of change some of these assumptions that I've had to maybe ones that are actually more real or more useful the real transformations come when we I mean I I like to think about it is asking different questions. I was just at a seminar a couple of weeks ago with the National Wellness Institute. So I'm involved in the multicultural competency group within the, the Wellness Institute over in the US. And there was a wonderful presentation there looking at inequality and inequity. And it was around a beautiful cartoon about an apple tree that was sort of bent over. And they were trying to sort of equal opportunity for people to gather apples. That's the question about, well, how do we get people to get the same number of apples? If you start to ask the question about, well, how can you straighten the tree or how can we create an equal crop of apples on both sides of the tree? Well, then actually at least a whole different way of thinking about how to create a systems intervention. So it's the difference between having different ladders, different height, or creating structures that rebalance the tree. I love that. It's immense, isn't it? Absolutely immense. All of a sudden, it's a different world you're looking at because you're asking a different question. Questions, 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 questions. curiosity. We come back to that. Yeah. And then thinking creatively. Amazing. So Andy, how do people get hold of you? How, you know, if someone's thinking I'm really interested in working with you, how do they get hold of you? Easiest way is LinkedIn, reciprocalminds.com. Find us there. And the latest book, could you just repeat the name again? And you said Amazon, they can find it on Amazon. So it's um, Empowerment in Health and Wellness, edited by myself, Sue Jackson and Jackie Arnold. And we've got 12 wonderful contributors working the three pillars of empowerment, which we described as awareness, information and learning. Wow. That sounds like a really fascinating and actually a must read book. Andy, I really enjoyed talking to you again. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Kathleen. Thanks for listening to the RebChat Inside Story series. We hope you enjoyed it. To feature your inside story, contact us at www.rebcatcreations.com or follow us on Instagram at Rebcat Creations.